but she never came to set. I think, I think she didn't want to make Kaylee nervous. So she spent time talking to Kaylee before she met her, but then she never came to set. Cause I, I think she knew that, that she felt like that would be, felt too much pressure for Kaylee, but she, um, but she was really, you know, talked to her a lot before. And I think Kaylee got a lot of the way she speaks and just her, just her essence from, from talking to Priscilla. And then when Priscilla saw it um, and she was moved by it and said, that was my life. That's what I felt like. like it was like, that was such a big moment for me to hear that. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a teenager and a rock and roll superstar fall in love in director Sofia Coppola's biographical drama, Priscilla. Based on the 1985 memoir Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, the film tells the story of how the young Priscilla met Elvis Presley, chronicling their legendary relationship and marriage. In addition to Priscilla, Coppola's other directorial credits include the feature films The Virgin Suicides, The Beguiled, Marie Antoinette, and Somewhere. She was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film for her 2003 feature Lost in Translation, and was also nominated in the Variety Talk News Sports Specials category for her work on 2015's A Very Murray Christmas. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Coppola spoke with director Celine Song about filming Priscilla. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Thank you. Hello. Um, hi, um, thank you all for being here. Um, I'm so happy and honored to be talking to Sophia about uh, this amazing, beautiful movie. Um, and, and thanks for doing this with me today. Oh, you, you know, you know, I was just so excited when you asked me. I was just like, oh, I can't wait. So I'm here. I love your movie past lives. <laughs> um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so um, I want to sort of, uh, you know start talking about it from the, you know, of course, the the question that I'm sure that I get asked all the time, but I have to ask you as well of like, well, what was the uh, part of the story that uh, you were drawn to and why did you want to tell this uh, story? Yeah, when I read Priscilla's memoir, Elvis and Me, I was just kind of reading it for fun and it seemed like a juicy memoir. And then I was really struck and touched by her story and how relatable it was because I didn't think I had anything in common with her experience. But she talks about, um, you know, being a new kid at school or her first kiss or going into a guy's bedroom for the first time and becoming a mother and all these things that, you know, everyone go well, all girls go through on the way to womanhood and these kind of moments of, um, that development. And, and I just thought it's, um, it was so interesting that you could, I could connect with just these universal themes, but in this really crazy setting of Elvis's Memphis Graceland. So, um, I was, I guess, I guess that was what touched me, just the, the, the human detail of her talking about, I had no idea that she was in high school, 
in high, Catholic high school while she was living in Graceland and so all these things. And, um, and also it really made me think about my mom's generation. You know, she's the same generation as my mom and, and similar struggles of, um, you know, not like being supposed, like she was supposed to be satisfied just to have a, a successful husband and a beautiful home and that should be enough. And that, um, not that having a creative outlet was not something that, um, you know, was possible in a way. Um, I was, uh, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how um, Elvis is actually like a, to to me, Elvis is a very old person or like a person of the very long past, but he was like a teen, teen idol, right? Yeah, yeah. And when I, when we were in Venice with Jacob Bellordi, girls were like crying around him and, and the excitement around him. And I was like, you know, it had a feeling of what, you know, a little bit, a fraction of what Elvis went through, but he was really, there weren't so many superstars then as there are now. So I think it must've been just so much more amplified and, and what that must've been like. And, and, and there's that moment, like after her first kiss, like she's walking at school and like, imagine if your first kiss was Elvis at that time. It's so crazy. So just trying to put all that human emotion in was uh, interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's like a, like if you were to replace it with like Justin Bieber or something, right? Yeah, For yeah. somebody who's that age, yeah, right? Yeah. Your totally. first kiss. <laughs> it's worth writing like fan fiction about, you know? <laughs> but this actually uh, takes me to the um, question, my next question about uh, casting and uh, what was sort of the process of um, deciding that Kelly Spaney, who is amazing, and Jacob Alurdi, who is also amazing, um, to play these uh, characters. And on top of that, these characters that are probably two of the most historically famous people on earth, right? Yeah, it was really, um, it was really daunting. I mean, the first challenge for me was I it was really important that I had the same actress play Priscilla from age 14 to 29 how can you find one actress that can um, be believable at all those ages and I, when I met so my great casting people said oh you have to meet Kaylee Spaney and someone they thought was talented and up and coming and I met her and she has this baby face she's in her 20s but she you know can pass for 15 so I thought oh wow yeah you could believe her at that stage. And, um, and then my friend Kirsten Dunst had worked with her and said how talented she was and how much she liked working with her. So that gave me the, um, confidence to, to cast her. And, um, and then Jacob uh, finding Elvis was so daunting. Like no one looks like Elvis. How do you do that? And, and in this way it was, um, you know, per his personal side. So it was less about him as a perform a performer, and um, and when I met Jacob, I thought he just had um, that charisma um, that that you know that just gets that kind of attention, and also he's really has a real sweet, lovable, sensitive side, which I thought was really important um, to have that side of him to how she described him in his uh, personal life, and also because it had such ups and downs and a dark side that it was important that he also had a lovable side. Um, I think that, you know, that makes me think about the kind of something that I was uh, noticing or I was thinking so much about watching your movie, which is, and I want to point to a particular scene where uh, Priscilla is asking to have sex with her, with, with him, right? And she is sort of like, I would really like to do that, right? And she's really actually very upfront and expressing her uh, her desire, right? Her And I was thinking so much about um, the, uh, the way that, cause, she, cause of course she beats him when she's 14, 
So how, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was like surprised in the book that she was able to, to be so assertive and art, like articulate. There's one scene later on where, um, after she has a baby and he, he's not, not wanting to meet her in a romantic way. And she's like, but you know, I, I have, I want to be desired. I like, she was really like clear about that, which I was really impressed that she at that time as a young woman could like articulate that. But, um, yeah, I mean, she talks about, and I remember when you're younger, you think you're much older than, than you are. And, and so she really conveyed that experience of, you know, that she felt like they had this connection and that he was like, you know, you're younger, but she saw herself as that, which I think we all feel like that when you're 15. I mean, I felt so represented by that, you know, because <laughs> I feel like, I think that's also true. And I think that's a part of like a kind of like a, the unruly girl, uh, which I know is like, of course, it's just such a big uh, part of your work. And I, it's the work that I grew up with, you know, and, um, and to me, I always felt so represented in your work. And I really felt that way about Priscilla as well, because I think that when I was 14, I thought I could date a 50 year old if I wanted to. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> because, right? Yeah. I know. There's that, it's that, um, I remember, yeah, I remember like your, um, when there's like older guys flirting to you think that you're so sophisticated and mature. And then of course, you know, now I'm the mother of a teenage girl and I, you know, I, I would not want an older man talking to my daughter, but at that age, you think that like you're really special and sophisticated. And of course it's normal that, you know, that well, yeah. you're like, you're like, well, I'm, it's because I'm so smart. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. because I'm so amazing. <laughs> yes, it makes total totally. sense. Totally. I'm, just, I'm the coolest girl on earth. So of course there's somebody who is much too old yeah. is interested. Yeah. You know? It's so, yeah. It reminded me of that really putting yourself in that um, headspace of being that age. Well, and I think that's feels connected to the, that scene because that to me that was that scene was uh, uh where she's asking for uh asking for Elvis to have sex with her which I felt was so uh intense and very erotic when it comes to just like uh it the, the openness with which that she's like no actually I need you to treat me like a woman right yeah I was impressed that she especially in that time that that she could be yeah, kind of so um, forward with that. And um, and then I thought, like, she must feel so rejected because she's a young girl and, and she's, you know, must be hard that she doesn't understand why he doesn't want her and, and, and the confusion because they have this flirtation, but then it stops. And it just seemed like the whole thing seemed so, must have been so confusing because already that's so overwhelming, all that stuff. And then in that situation with, yeah, with someone older. Um, and the way she descri described it, you really, I really felt when you read her book, like you could see just her experience when she talked about going in his bedroom and how intimidating it was that the bed was so big and who were the women that were there before her and how intimidating it was like, El it's Elvis. And, and so when we were making that set, like to, when she first goes in there, it's like this man cave and it, we made the scale of the bed bigger to like just make it more daunting and overwhelming. Um, uh, that makes me wonder about um, what I would love to hear about um, the production design, of course, and the location. Did were you uh, uh, shooting this in on Graceland? We um, we rebuilt Graceland in Toronto on a on a stage, and I've never shot all on a stage. Thank you. It was really we, it was really scrappy. We shot in Toronto in thirty days, and we had to fit so much of her life and so much into that time and. And we built it all on stages, which I'd never done before. I always liked being in real locations. And um, but it was great. We had like her, um, we had the Germany 
house, um, like right, right next to the, the Graceland living room and bedroom. We would just hop back and forth. And I was really impressed with Kaylee that she was able to keep track of what her character was because we would shoot in the morning. She'd be 15 in Germany. And then the afternoon she was having her baby and like, it was all crazy. And so I was so impressed when I saw it in order that, um, you know, that it, that her, progression made sense and that she did such a good job with it. Cause I always try to shoot in order whenever possible, but this one was all, all over. And, um, and it was really, it was really fun, like movie magic to see, like, cause we were shooting like in the fall and winter in Toronto and we, and, and shooting Memphis and then Los Angeles, we just like brought in some tropical plants and put some lighting and we were in LA. And, and I think that's the fun of, I hope when you watch it that you just kind of go with it and you're in these places. Um, but that was really, that was challenging. And I had this incredible art department. Um, and I, yeah, I loved, I was surprised. I loved working in Toronto. We had such a great team and, um, and we're able the art department, we wouldn't have been able to make the movie without this really creative art department. And they would, we would shoot like, um, the hospital room when the baby's born and then like the room next door, we made it into, they made it into a hair salon. Like we just, we shot everything, um, wherever we could. And so it's really fun to see it all fit together and hopefully make sense. Well, I think that, uh, and I, that makes me think about, um, the kind of work that you must, you and Kaylee must have done for the kind of the aging of this character. And that reminds me of the, the scene that I really love where she comes home. Um, from uh, her time with Elvis, and then she meets her parents at the airport. And I don't—I I wasn't in here for the screening, but I was like audibly laughing because it was because she has her smeared mascara. She just—you're just like, well, she's not the little girl anymore, right? Because she's Elvis's yeah. girlfriend now. And I think there's something, yeah, yeah. No, I I love that moment in the book. That was one of my favorite moments. She, she describes like the horror of her mother's face when the mom was like smiling to see her, and then her face dropped when she got closer and saw all her smeared mascara and like ratted hair and like what happened to your kid, I can't imagine, but I always thought that was, um, yeah, said so much that, that one moment of her coming back and then having to go to like boring classes in Germany after being in Las Vegas with, um, Vegas at that, that time. And so you can, I can only imagine, but she describes it really vividly in her book and it felt like, you, you know, you can really feel like you're walking in her shoes and, um, but yeah, I, I love those moments of, of what it was really like for her. Well, I feel like her scenes in this, in her classroom, those are so lonely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can't imagine like what a, um, yeah, bummer after being in this exciting whirlwind and then have to be like a normal kid at this winter in Germany. And we tried to make Germany as drab as possible. It's always winter and gray and all the colors are muted so that when she's in Memphis with Elvis, everything is more colorful and almost like an Oz feeling and the excitement of being with him. And, and even the, um, just the sound, it's much more energy going on around Elvis. And then when he's not there to try to really feel like something's missing and flat. I mean, I feel like I was thinking about the, that makes me think about the, the chorus of men that chorus of men oh, yeah. yes. that surround Elvis because it's like it's always like there's a bit of a it's, there's kind of a wolf-like or like barking something in those yeah. guys yeah there is like a pack of yeah these guys and the Memphis Mafia were always around and she talked a lot in her story about how she just always was trying to get alone with him and they were always there they they live a lot of them lived at the house and and she was just always trying to have a moment kind of getting back to their first connection in Germany but um she was sort of fun being with all the guys, but then she could, she had to hang out with these guys all the time. He was never without them and never a moment without. And, um, and then she also talked about how she couldn't really be friends with the 
the wives of these guys because she was around when the wives weren't there and knew what they were doing. And so it put her, I felt like it put her in a really isolating experience where she couldn't really, you know, have friends and connect outside of, you know, this role of being his ideal girl woman. Um, you know, I would love to know uh, what it was like um, if, if uh, Priscilla herself, the author of the book, and of course whose story this is, if she was a part of the uh, making of this movie in, in, in what kind of way, and also like if it has, to, you know, in rehearsal, anything like that. I was, I was wondering what was it like. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's the first time I've ever made something about someone who was alive that I could ask questions to. And so when I was adapting the script, it was really cool. I kept questions and I would ask her to fill in details. And she was really nice and open about wanting to be helpful. Um, but, you know, let me do it the way I thought. And um, it, it, was a, it was a new creative challenge for me to be able to be, you know, expressing what I wanted to make while also being keeping in mind what I think she would feel comfortable with. Because it was really important to me that she felt like it represented her and was something that she felt good about. And, and also I'm prying into her personal life. So how do I ask her things without, you know, prying too much. And, um, so it was, it was an interesting balance, but I was really glad that she was so open to talking to me and, and filling in questions. And I remember I was like, where's that box of Polaroids that you guys took? And, and like, what were the costumes you were wearing? Cause you, cause we have to like actually buy costumes and what are they going to be? And like, so all these kind of details, um, you know, to be able to ask, ask her. And of course there's so many great photos and home movies you can see. And so that helped, um, fill in what it was like to, um, make it feel as authentic to that time. But she never came to set. I think, I think she didn't want to make Kaylee nervous. So she spent time talking to Kaylee before she met her, but then she never came to set. Cause I, I think she knew that, that she felt like that would be, felt too much pressure for Kaylee, but she, um, but she was really, you know, talked to her a lot before. And I think Kaylee got a lot of the way she speaks and just her, just her essence from, from talking to Priscilla. And then when Priscilla saw it, um, and she was moved by it and said, that was my life. That's what I felt like. Like it was like, that was such a big moment for me to hear that. It's amazing because that was going to be my next question, but I was like, can I ask that? Cause what did Priscilla think? But it's, I love that. Um, you, she felt like you did, did justice to her story. That's amazing. Yeah. She said like, that's really how I felt. You, you know, you showed how I felt and that's, that was my life. And, um, and that meant so much to me because I was, you know, really interpreting what I felt like she expressed in, in her book and, and then being able to ask her about that. So I was, I was really glad. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, the, another thing that I was uh, wondering about is, uh, uh, it's a, it's a movie and I feel like it's, because Elvis is a part of the a film, so I I I have to believe that you were. Um, but the, you did this with every film you make. But uh, you must have had a very specific relationship to music that you had a a very a strong point of view about. So I want to know what that was. Yeah. Yeah. This one, um, I, when I was working on the script and starting to think about it, I I talked to my husband and his bandmates in their band Phoenix to help me start putting a playlist together of music of that era. And we had a Spotify that we all shared and we put music on cause I don't, I'm not that familiar with the music of, of that era and it can be cor corny to me a little bit like happy days or something like it. It's not totally my thing, but I love girl groups. Like I grew up listening to the Ronettes and all those girl groups. So I love that sound and that full specter sound. So it was really, um, it was really interesting and fun to find music that felt 
like we were trying to express her emotional state through the story and feel authentic to that time and then also kind of relate to each other. And and I wanted that to kind of be epic and really romantic because it's like this, yeah, just ultra romantic fairy tale idea. So so the music all kind of heightened romance and kind of swelling Phil Spector kind of melodrama and kind of get into that feeling of of um, just kind of the epic first love teenage romance and then and then of course the story you know kind of that fairy tale melts as the story goes along and it isn't what she imagined and, and what the reality was for her well i mean that that also feels like um the uh what is this thing the sound design in it right because right because i think i was thinking about the way that how we actually uh encounter elvis so often over the phone you know? Oh yeah, yeah. I um just I felt I was struck by like he just he would leave and she was expected just to stay at home. Like he didn't want her to come to his film locations or whatever. And how so much of it was just kind of her on the phone with him and just the distance between them. And and we wanted um the sound to feel like when he was there, it was full of action and noise and the guys and music. And he always had the TV playing. And then when he's gone to really feel how quiet it was and, um, and the emptiness. And so that helped a lot with the sound design to, um, have that feeling. And even the editing is, is a different pace when Elvis is around than when she's alone and it has a different feeling. I mean, cause I felt very suffocated in those moments, just like how Priscilla probably uh, felt. And to hear that the, uh, uh, Priscilla, uh, you know, the living person, she feels like that's really did reflect her reality. That made me feel so, that makes me feel, a uh, feel for her so deeply. Cause it's like, well, it's so suffocating to be in such a quiet house and to not be, not be allowed to leave, kind of not be allowed to leave. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. it did feel really isolating that she wasn't allowed to have friends over yeah. and she wasn't, she wanted to go get a job at the boutique cause she liked fashion and she wasn't be able she wasn't able to do a lot of things and and um and I was like what were you doing in all those days to try to, con- to kind of just that convey that feeling of time passing slowly and then the energy shifting when he was there yeah. and the excitement of that and kind of the back and forth because yeah. that's like that's like an early retirement but like a very early retirement yeah. you know <laughs> like <laughs> but that's why I feel like that idea of like a trophy wife is like you're supposed to just be happy with um a beautiful setting and and the you know the status of a successful husband that's supposed to be enough but um but how what the reality is of of that and just kind of being stuck there well but also um he's not just a successful husband she's right he's a dream man of probably every girl her age so it's like on top of it it's like I don't know who she could probably turn to, right? I know. And she told me that she, like, uh, when they were in LA, there were always girls waiting at the gate and the guys would go out there and, like, invite pretty girls. And she knew that there were always other options out there. So she had all this pressure to be the ideal woman. And even this, even when he's, like, reading his um, spirituality books and she's like, enough already. And he says, well, there's a lot of women that would want to do this. That was always that idea. There's always some other woman that would want to do it if you, if you're not going to be that one and imagine that pressure on our on a relationship and and finally you know it was too she went it's like enough it was too much for her but I can't imagine what that must have been like of course because you're right because it's like you're always feeling like well anybody else you know because and they I'm sure they send him letters being it's like yeah I'll do anything right? yeah and there's always women waiting outside <laughs> the gates yeah so it's like being like replace her <laughs> with me you know yeah yeah so just always having to be this like perfect I think she just 
put a lot of energy trying to be this perfect woman, his ideal. And then I was so impressed that she had the strength at the end to leave and, and make her own life and find her own way and who she wanted to be. Well, I mean, I was very much cheering for her at the end because I was like, uh, and what a while, I'm sure, um, you know, for an Elvis fan, that must seem uh, crazy to imagine at the time to be like cheering a you yeah. know, Elvis' wife to be like, leave him, you know, which. Yeah, no, but I felt the same way. I was really impressed that, that she had that strength and I was, and then it's, it's sad that this didn't work out, but I was really happy that she went and found her own, own life after that. And, and she was still a young woman when yeah. she really started her life. And she said that she didn't even know what her taste was because it was always Elvis's taste. And then and when she left and started doing her own thing, she met people that, you know, wanted to hear what she had to say and found what she was into and um, and had, a, you know, a whole developed life and, you know, kind of found her identity, which I thought was such a happy ending for that story. Totally. I mean, and that also reminds me of the, uh, the costume in the film that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with all the costumes in all your films, but, um, in this, and this film was, and this film was no different. Um, and, uh, I remember though, the, in particular, the scene where, where Elvis is, has such a point of view about what she should wear. And I was really kind of surprised. (laughs) I was, I was surprised like Elvis, you have a very real point of view that you want to tell your wife about how she should dress. And then, um, and uh, and then I was also shocked that um, because he said it with such certainty that I was finding myself looking at Priscilla to see if Elvis is right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I was tr- I was really always trying to make the story feel like from her point of view. So um, things that so I wanted it to be glamorous and fun, but then also you're also looking at from this perspective. He's dressing her up like a doll, yeah. and I think she you know, I think she liked the attention and she was learning, she said she was learning from him and he knew so much from working in films about, you know, what looked good and this, but it was really, you know, all in in him making this ideal, his idea of the ideal woman. And then um, I was glad that, you know, she developed and was able to find her own taste of what she liked and who she wanted to be. But it was yeah, sort of like a dream nightmare at the same yeah. time. Um, were you? Um, uh, was there? Was there an arc that I feel like I felt like I glimpsed? Uh, I, I was glimpsing at uh, the arc when it, that happened throughout uh, the things that she was wearing, like from her kid outfit in as a, in Germany to, of course, when she comes home fully, you know, Hollywooded, right, <laughs> with the big hair and mascara and everything, and then. Of course, um, her being like a kept girl, basically, um, in his home, and then when she escapes. So I, I, I was feeling like I would love to hear more about what. You yeah, um, our costume designer Stacy Batat did such a great job, and, and it really helped us to figure out where she was in the story and um, and what stage she was at. And, and in in Germany, she's you know when she first comes to Graceland, she's like looks like a little girl, and her you know, like cotton dress and then she gets more sophisticated in Vegas and he dresses her, you know, he has all these glamorous clothes and she said, oh, these clothes are too sophisticated for me. So it really comes from all of her um, feelings about it and um, and then trying to dress the way he likes. And he, there's a scene where he tells her not to wear prints, that prints don't look good at her. And then there's a scene later on where she confronts him about Anne Margaret and she's being more assertive and so she wears Stacy put her in a print there, like so she's gonna wear what she wants. So, so, so look, like she, uh, yeah, Stacy did such a great job of showing um, kind of her evolution, and it really helped uh, Kaylee. And also for me, I, when I would see her come to set, like 
how tall her hair was or where we, it helped me figure out where we are in the story from all her looks. And we, we, in my office, I chart, we took all the pictures of Priscilla over her life so we could try to figure out which looks was which um, era in her, in her life. And then, um, in the end in the seventies, she kind of comes back more naturally to who she was originally. And yeah, so much of it's the stories about her identity. And I'm always interested in how people become who they are and, and how she find finds her way and sort of comes back to her true self, um, at the end. Well, I feel like, like clothes are so connected to, you're right, connected to identity. And I think it's like, there's such a real storytelling that can happen in, in uh, what you wear and how you wear it too. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. And who she's trying to be. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it, it tells so much about her, especially in, in the story of yeah. her, her kind of growing up and, and trying to be like the female version of him and then finding her own way. And yeah, it, it helps a lot. And, and, and at that time also, uh, women, that's one of the most important part of, uh, being a woman at the time, you know? Yeah. There was so <laughs> right? much pageantry and the hair yes. and makeup and going to the salon and the matching shoes and bags. And it was yeah, so much of that, that era. And, um, and just the colors are, are different and, and, yeah, I liked when she was like even having commercials of like um, in the background of like women with, you know, making the perfect cake. You know, just like this kind of ideal of like well, the ultimate woman and that the kind of, yeah, what what the expectation was then to be perfect. So how amazing that um, after um, going through uh, all of that and going through all those uh, different like searching outfits mm-hmm. that she gets to leave at the end, you know. Yeah, she lets to. She's free. She lets her hair down. She gets rid of the hairspray and can be a more natural version to connect it to who she really is. I hope. Um, I think we're out of time, but oh, it was so nice so to talk to you. It was so fun thank to you talk for to you. Coming. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for this amazing movie, and thank you all for being yeah. here. And oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. The director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.